Hey everybody, welcome to Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. I really want to thank you for listening. If you feel compelled to do so, make sure you subscribe, uh, leave a review, comment, share, whatever you feel like doing. Help me out trying to grow this podcast, trying to continuously deliver value. A couple of things before we get into the show, check out the links in the show notes to my CRA Academy my CRC Academy, both of them doing very well as far as getting people jobs in the marketplace. Check those out. Also, if you need help getting studies for your site or anything else, or even launching a site, basically any help for your site, we have a low monthly fee consulting service where we have helped many clients become and continue to be successful site owners through our background efforts of business development and support staff text me 949-415-6256 please check out the links in the show notes as well for the book the comprehensive guide to clinical research it's been selling really well getting very well received by the community thank you guys so much for that also check out the youtube member page join this channel to get perks that's my youtube uh, membership it's 10 bucks a month you get a monthly mastermind exclusively it's a zoom call every month with other youtube members uh, you also get weekly videos exclusive to the youtube members on how to use social media to improve your opportunities in life sciences so check that out really means a lot to me and thank you so much again for listening and enjoy the show Guru Nation, how's it going? Welcome back to another episode. Man, this is a good one. We Pat Stone, first of all, thank you so much, Pat. We for the original Guru Nation fans, subscribers, followers, supporters. You guys know Pat Stone, but there's a bunch of new ones out there. A bunch of you new people you're like, "Hey, you ever had anyone from the FDA on?" And I said, "Yeah, Pat Stone." But it was so long ago, Pat, all the new fans, they don't know. They don't go back in the archives. They want new stuff. So we got Pat Stone, former FDA auditor turned consultant. How's business, Pat? How's everything? Well, so for the past 10 years, um, I have been very busy. So the first seven years, I was really a pure auditor auditing for my clients, you know, vendor audits, PAIs, um, BIMO, ETMF audits, a lot of uh, inspection readiness, okay? And the past three years, my clients have wanted me long-term, so I've had three-year-long contracts. So I transitioned from a, um, a every once in a while auditor to full service, gap assessments, remediations, inspection readiness uh, offerings. And also, you know, my last client, I got to do a a new drug entity uh, confirmation. So before you get to, uh, you know, the the clinical trial phase in in animals, you know, you have you have your nomination of a new entity and i and i got to take part in one of those and it was it's 
such a different um, experience to see something from its inception as opposed to seeing it at the end, you know, just auditing the tail end when they're going to, you know, submit to FDA or EMA or EU. So that's a bit of big transition and also um, developing uh, sponsors from, uh, you know, naive, uh, very small uh, organizations of 30, 40 people ballooning into 300 people right before FDA either gives you the market approval or not. Hmm. Um, so to be able to help with that has been, you know, a, a, a new experience because as an FDA inspector, you're just an auditor, right? You're auditing, um, not necessarily developing because there's not that collaboration of what you should have, right? You give right. a list of observations. My last client said it best. You FDA auditor guys, you just come in, you audit, you make a mess and you leave. I want you to come in and help fix it. Like, don't just tell me where it's wrong. Help me remediate. And I'm like, okay, I can do this. What's usually uh, like a shortcoming from, and then we'll get into site audits later. Cause that, that's a lot of the guru nations interested, but from a sponsor perspective, like what's a, what's like a mo the most common thing you find, like the most common uh, shortcoming or deficiency that the sponsors have. The quality system, I can tell you, is one of the biggest areas because most of my clients, you know, the small, medium sponsors, they have CROs that do everything. So they'll have MedPace or PPD or any of the big players out there. They'll have them do the, all the work and maybe they contract the QA. You know, my last one didn't. So we did the QA for the project. But Sometimes they don't. And so the biggest issues is that interface where you're a virtual company. You don't make the drug. You have someone else do that. You have multiple other places do that. So the interface of the, the drug manufacturing and the bioresearch monitoring part of the clinic sites, that's where I help them develop the most because they are lacking in those areas, right? You know, you have all your quality agreements, you have your Toros, and have you mapped that to ensure the oversight of every single part that you have contracted out? Because that's where they don't understand, well, we're going to worry about, uh, you know, that CRO has the uh, SOP for that. We don't really need that, do we? Mm. And I'm like, well, are you following your uh, CRO's SOP? Or are you just doing something different? Because the CRO is following their SOP to get the work done. But how does that oversight come into play? And that's where they're like, oh, oh, I get it. We actually need procedures to show what we have done, you know, to manage this and to ensure, uh, you know, deviation controls, patient safety, you know, safety reporting is a very big item that, you know, you make sure. Um, so, so that part of it's always uh, the biggest lift. Um, and then, you know, when I get to clinical operations and those uh, functional areas, I really drill them on their interactions with their counterparts and, the, and their uh, folks that, you know, at their level for the CRO part. Say, like, you know, I see all these deviations, nothing's really getting better. How are you managing this? Like, you're going to these bi-weekly or bi-monthly meetings. 
but the deviations are stacking up and you're getting multiple similar ones. What are you doing as a sponsor to ensure that your CRO understands that's not acceptable, right? Because if you have a bunch of, uh, of uh, minor deviations, that escalates to major, right? You can't have too many minors, right? It doesn't, it, it doesn't work that way. So I get them to understand um, the reviewer's perspective, what the reviewer is going to come in and look at. You know, because I'm not just doing the the building up. I'm also doing their site audits, you know. So my last client made me go to their worst sites. You know, one site <laughs> had possible fraud. But let's talk about site. that because that's exciting, you know. And yeah, we have a lot of sites yeah. watching. We got sponsors watching too. And by the way, Petstone wrote a book, The Bubblegum Badge, his story as an FDA auditor. Uh, it's still on Amazon. This thing. Oh this yeah, book? it's that everywhere. It's not classic. coming down. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's doing well, and um, I get some patients also that read it because I was hoping to give that perspective to the patients that are going to be in a clinical trial. Maybe they have cancer. They're stage four, mm -hmm. and they really don't have that understanding of what is this clinical trial and what's the point, and why do I want to use my last days in one. So it kind of gives the perspective to them on what is trying to be accomplished through these clinical trials and, and how important um, it is to the future of uh, treating cancer and fighting uh, any, any disease state. It doesn't really matter Well, let's, I, I work with all disease states. Let's go. Let's talk about site audits. But before we do that, and only if you want to, if you're comfortable. If you're not, you can say, hey, this is too controversial. Let's just talk about something else. <clears throat> but since you brought up the patients, you know, a lot of people are concerned with the vaccines and how quickly they were rolled out. So I just wanted to get your take as a former FDA auditor and now a consultant who works with sponsors on quality assurance, quality control. What is your take on the speed of which these vaccines were rolled out? Yeah, so I definitely talk about that. And, you know, in the book, I, I describe why it takes 10 years or why it takes 9, 10 years to roll out a drug from uh, preclinical, prehuman, animal model, all the way to uh, phase three. And <clears throat> the speed of which we are uh, approving drugs now, I mean, FDA had started to really ramp up the acceleration of um, personalized medicine and other other uh, emerging uh, medicine, uh, cell therapies, gene therapies. But in this case, you know, <clears throat> we went a little too fast because what we're seeing now with um, the amount of individuals taking the uh, vaccine is that there's quite a bit of um, adverse events, more than any other uh, vaccine to date. And so I think that that is a concern for the patient in, in the sense that um, some of these adverse events are transitional and some of them are lifelong. And I think that's where we needed more safety studies for this uh, particular uh, rollout. And since that is an ongoing uh, review, we see that 
the adverse events are high everywhere. And um, there was a lot of politics involved. When you, when you say uh, a, a healthcare product is safe and effective, and yet there's no data to support either one of those claims, I, I think that's where we ran aground because when politics comes into play, science gets pushed aside. And I think FDA has been trying to, you know, walk a fine line of politics and safety and science. But in this case, um, the alarm was set so high, but yet, you know, for other vaccines, you, you know, the actual disease was much more uh, lethal, okay? You know, there's a 15% or 20% chance that you're going to pass if you get this uh, virus. Um, whereas with, with uh, COVID, you know, it really, the, the numbers are pretty low. Like it's still 99%, whether, whatever age range you're in, you're 99% going to be okay. So I'm not sure that we needed to um, go warp speed on this. And I'm not sure that the need uh, was there for this type of rollout. If, if there were a higher um, death rate, then maybe you know it would it would be warranted to do certain things, but you you really want to keep safety in mind. And when we see the efficacy isn't there now either, uh, you know we can look at Israel's numbers or UK's numbers or even our own numbers. Um, <clears throat> you know you have high profile individuals that have pushed you know for this product. And they're double uh, vaxxed, and and if, and all some of them are are also have their booster, and they're still contracting the disease. So the effectiveness is not uh, showing itself, and and I and I think we, we need to be cautious uh, mm -hmm. about that, and yeah. um, and take note because uh, there's a lot of misinformation on both sides. You know, on on the plus side, on the negative side. But when you see the FDA saying, hey, Pfizer, you don't have to release your information for 50 years, there's uh, room for concern. That type of, you know, that, that has never been a, a thing. And also having immunity to uh, adverse events or AEs, that's never been a thing either. And when you, when you strip away the uh, culpability of a product, uh, you you diminish the uh, nature of it, right? I mean, if if you can't say it's safe and effective, but on the other hand, you need protection because it's not safe and effective, there's a problem there. I see. Yeah, there's a disconnect. Um, you know how <clears throat> there's like seasonal flu. I, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I have one right now. I'm COVID negative. I had COVID in December of 2020, but I caught a flu, like the super cold going around. So you know how they have the yearly flu shots, right? Mm -hmm. But they do their best to figure out what, what strain it might be because they don't know. So they're giving you like an old strain, but they do their best guess as to, you know, what it might be. I feel and I'm not a clinician or anything, but from the people I talk to, I feel like this COVID thing's kind of the same thing. Cause by the time 
the majority of the country's vaccinated for alpha or delta. I mean, they don't even have a delta vaccine. We have an Omicron coming and then we're going to have another one. And I, I heard today, I read in Wall Street Journal, the FDA is approving even faster review for Omicron. Uh, I just read that today. They said it's going to be three months. So I feel like we're behind, right? I feel like we're really behind when it comes to this stuff. What do you think about this as a FDA auditor? Like comparing it to the flu vaccine. Right. Well, you know, I, I my, one of my first uh, consults was in Val de Rule of France, uh, and I won't name the company, but if you know the biggest names in vaccination manufacturing, that's the one. So I spent a couple of weeks there looking at their um, lyophilization, their IM, their, they have eight different, you know, uh, vaccine uh, ways to make it. And then they have 30 different vaccines they're making. And so I got to, you know, at FDA, only Team Biologics gets to do vaccine manufacturing reviews. So regular drug inspectors like myself would have, wouldn't have gone. <clears throat> but in this case, I went with a team and I was part, a specific part of that team. Um, you know, others were looking at the, the sterilization, even though I was certified and have done all that, looking at DPT labs and, and looking at uh, um, here in Hospira here in, in, in Austin, who, who's no longer with us. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, so the way we used to make vaccines, you know, or we still make them um, is different from this. So, you know, I've been doing cell therapy and gene therapy since 2002 with FDA. And what I see in this is a gene therapy. I, I don't see a vaccine um, because, wow. yeah. It, so you it, think that, so I was comparing it to the flu vaccine. It's not the same. You're saying this is more like a gene therapy. Yes, sir. So like CRISPR or like gene therapy, like what Biogen was doing back in the day? Well, so there's no vector and there's no plasmid to infect. In, in this case, what they have is, they're using um, a, a human uh, stem cell in, as, their, as their base uh, part. <clears throat> and they're changing that uh, stem cell to uh, give it the mRNA mechanism. So it will just make a portion of the spike protein because there's like five parts to the spike protein. This is giving you one of those parts that it's your your body is now uh, 30% of your immune system is now changed to manufacture this spike protein so instead of fighting off the daily uh cancer or daily radionuclides or different items it has been programmed to only do this manufacturing of spike proteins so in a sense you can't really <clears throat> compare flu vaccine with with this uh uh, COVID jab. I'm glad you brought um, and, that up. And, you know, they had to uh, they had to redefine what a vaccine is and what it does. And if it doesn't provide immunity, which a, a traditional vaccine does, then then that's where the difference is, and and that's where we needed a lot more study. I mean, you know, why wouldn't there be a, a 
jab like this for AIDS or for cancer or for other, you know, um, because a coronavirus is a changing entity, it, it, it evolves, it mutates. It's a moving target that, like you said, you brought up, there's, you know, 10,000 um, different influenza strains. We try to contain three of them. We get a lottery. We look at the past seasons and we take a, a scientific guesstimation on what should go into that seasonal flu for that year. Right. depending on the weather, depending on this or that, or who knows what they're uh, calculating this off of. But it, it, it's the same type of thing would happen, you know, with, you know, why wouldn't we have done a traditional vaccine uh, manufacturing for COVID? Why, why wouldn't we have used the, the chicken egg, right? I mean, it, but what it wouldn't do you think, have right. But, but what do you I mean, think they, about they the, went straight uh... to the gene therapy? I mean, that, that to me is, it's, it's a very, far stretch from from anything that we've done a couple of things on that so astrazeneca right is didn't they come out with the more of the traditional vaccine for this and it's still using mrna technology so it's not quite it's not taking the covid virus and attenuating it or you know even the live part of it you know making it to where it is not infectious to where it's not going to uh, continue to operate in your body. Um, and, you know, <clears throat> when your body makes these spike proteins from, from this mRNA, your body doesn't always know what to do with those spike proteins. And that's why you see these microclots and this pericarditis and all these mm. adverse events that are stacking up in healthy people. Um, so not everyone's chemistry is is understanding that, hey, this is a foreign body, even though I'm making it, and then I need to react to this little spike protein so I can understand, so you can have the uh, immune response if you do get sick. But what they're finding is in some cases that if an individual is vaccinated, you know, twice and they catch COVID, um, <clears throat> and I, I'm going to send you an email from uh you know, because I have some information that you, you may find useful. Sure. It gives a lot of the numbers of the adverse events for the Pfizer offering. And um, but <clears throat> so if your body does, if not everyone's body is set to where they it understands that it needs this immune response. And instead, what happens is when the individual gets sick, the COVID uh, virus says, hey, look at all these parts of, of what I need to manufacture myself. It's awesome. So they have higher levels of virus, which they're now telling us that this is happening. Um, and, and the CDC had to walk back the fact that, you know, the, no unvaccinated person has transmitted COVID to a vaccinated person and that uh, individuals that have been double vaccinated have higher COVID levels when they do get sick. And that shouldn't be the case. It should be they have lower levels because they have this immune uh, response built in through the uh, jab. So it, it, it's, um, <clears throat> it's, it's very controversial. I know some individuals that will hear this will not believe any of it, but yeah. Fortunately for me, I have all the data to support what I'm saying. Yeah, I would love from, to see those emails. From FDA, from CDC, from EMA, from Israel. I have all these 
<laughs> documents that I review. So I'm doing my homework every day because, you know, you know, if they're going to start mandating this for children, um, that's going to be a big deal. Yeah, I think that's the line in the sand for a lot of people. And this was not intended to be a vaccine talk, but I just, I literally just thought of it spontaneously when you came on. Like, hey, when you brought up patients reading your book, Bubblegum Badge, I was like, well, that's a good point, Pat. I mean, you're a FDA auditor. Like, okay, so some of the people who just heard this may say, all right, Pat, but isn't this, aren't you excited about this new paradigm mRNA technology? I mean, Aren't you glad that in the event of another pandemic, we can crank out a vaccine like really quickly? I mean, isn't that a good thing? Isn't that progress? Well, what is your response to this? Well, I, I definitely would be excited if there wasn't so much adverse events and, and serious adverse events and, and deaths. Um, and if it was more effective, if it actually proved itself, that's where the excitement comes in it's it's not the fact that someone's carnival barking how well this is with no data to support it Hmm. because that is not science that's listening to a talking head telling you something that isn't true which is what we get a lot of these days i just when i hear things in outlets and you see the outlets now they're being sued you know for all kinds of reasons and things are becoming real to them that, hey, you can't just put out misinformation as, as, a, as a news outlet, right. as a news organization. You, you have to fall within the lines of reality and truth. And I am excited for the cell and gene therapy space. In 2017, I was part of two of the three gene therapy offerings that were approved, uh, two leukemia offerings. I was part of one. And one eye gene therapy and these are cures the these are actual cures people are being saved they're the the yeah they're not being harmed they're not dying from this gene therapy there's there's very low adverse events and that's what i'm excited about right so the cures i, I am all for a cure is that like crispr but, technologies or is that yes, a- there's crispr technology in that for sure i mean you have you have your your plasmids and you have your vector and then you have the cell that you're going to transfect. So that's those are true gene therapies. As and, a, uh, Pat, as a FDA, former FDA auditor and now consultant, and we're going to get to the site audits guys, we've got to get some juicy stuff for the sites, but let's pretend. All right. That because there's a lot of your former colleagues auditing these vaccine studies now, right? What would you look at? First, like, what would you look at from a first from a sponsor level, like as an auditor, and then when you go into the sites, because there was only like a handful of sites doing these studies, as far as I'm aware, right? Mm-hmm. What what would you look at? Where would be some red flags that you would hone in on? <clears throat> well, after getting this uh, this information, you know, uh, on on the adverse events that the um, court mandated to be released um the safety profile would be one of the first things but in in many of these uh offerings the manufacturing part has been an issue um you 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 can see that there's been a couple of uh offerings that there were two different uh, <clears throat> uh vaccines in one vial 
and you know a, a lot of manufacturing issues in general because of the speed of which this all took place and mm. so you know did they really have validation runs for the manufacturing did they have all the engineering runs did they actually ensure that you know um <clears throat> they had a sterile product and uh, so i would be looking at <clears throat> the manufacturing piece uh very very closely because it seemed like a few of them had issues in that department and and you would i mean that that should be a, a a red flag in itself because when you do something quick and you don't go through all of the uh traditional uh quality uh roadmaps then you're going to have these type of issues where um, the manufacturing has has uh, out of specifications mm. it has um you know lots that have to be d uh, discarded mm. um <clears throat> a lot of failure uh rate it's a very high failure rate so i would definitely look at that um <clears throat> and, and and at the site level I would definitely have keyed in on again. I mean, when we go to the sites, we're looking at adverse events. Were were they um, reported on time? You know, if an SAE happened, was it 24 hours? Uh, you know, <clears throat> we we look at uh, now. It's 20. It's 24 hours from when the site becomes aware. Aware, right? right becomes aware, right? Well, so it might not be 24 hours. Since yeah, the it could SAE. be 48 or it could be a little longer, uh, right? Because the patient uh, doesn't come in for a week and then they don't tell you until they come in as right. opposed to calling you and saying, hey, I was in the hospital <laughs> right. for X, Y, Z. You find out a little later. Right. Uh, so, yeah, <clears throat> I mean, those are the type of things, uh, you know, I would always key in on as an FDA person. And the data validation right is is do the uh, source data points match the um line listings you know the the data for submission that type of thing um <clears throat> but uh you know i i think we're gonna we're gonna see some um so, some information roll out you know through these cases that are coming up for the mandates and uh mm. we'll see more safety profile i think that is the most important thing for people and when cdc stopped counting breakthrough cases two months ago that raised a big red flag you can have you, to count breakthrough cases. so they they didn't want to count those individuals that were double vaccinated and contracted COVID. Okay. They only wanted to count those individuals who are unvaccinated, or maybe they only had one uh, vaccination instead of both. Um, so they said, well, if, if you get COVID and you've been uh, double vaccinated and you're past your 14 day on the second vaccination, we're not going to count that you had COVID. And that doesn't make sense to me. You should count when your product doesn't work if it's COVID not is covid regardless of <laughs> doesn't matter yeah so when they came out and said they stopped counting they they came out in national news and i was not aware of this yes that. sir <laughs> yeah look it up the the world was watching and it was a, a big deal because why would you not count a very important aspect of 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 the safety right so the effectiveness 
if this individual went to the hospital and was in hospital, even after having double vaccination, that's a big deal. And you got to count it. Uh, you, mm. you can't hide data. And, well, and is anyone collecting this data, like private entities? Oh, I'm sure the hospitals are collecting that information, but it's not going into some repository where CDC is using it uh, for the purposes it should be used for. So basically, we don't know true efficacy because the numbers are not being counted. Exactly. I see. Um, man, this is, I mean, we can do an entire, we can do an entire episode on this and possibly get deplatformed, Pat. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to get canceled. I'm going to have some of my, my you know, uh, my uh, sponsors the, like, what's wrong with you <laughs> the 12 years of me building my channel could be wiped off in the after but i think it's important i mean i didn't intend to go into this talking about covid vaccine i actually i genuinely thought of it when you mentioned the patients reading your book and i was like all right well technically we're all patients you know and if we've so been we vaccinated and you know another interesting thing another side owner told me what is your take on this as a fda auditor you know how i'm Every study says no, no experimental therapy or treatment in the last X days before, you know. So does that include people who are vaccinated? Because technically, is it still experimental? Like from an FDA standpoint, is this experimental or now that it's approved, it's no longer experimental? Well, so there's a, <laughs> that's a whole nother conversation. So though the culminarity offering from uh, Pfizer uh, is approved, but it's not available in the US. All of that product is going to Israel or is going to somewhere else. So what they're providing in the US is all emergency use authorization product. None of it is fully approved. And, uh, and that is why it has this immunity from uh, any adverse events or culpability, right? They, 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 um, it's built into that experimental phase uh, of the offering. And yeah. um, once it is approved, it should transition into a full, you know, non-immunity type offering where if something happens, you Pfizer, whoever has got the approval is held right. accountable for whatever it is. Now, wouldn't critics say, because you can look at that two different ways, right? You can look at it as, Hey, you know, this is big pharma lobbying dollars at work. They're getting immunity basically from vaccines, right? And then the other point of view and perspective is, well, this is an incentive. Otherwise, no, everybody would be scared to make vaccines. So then we, we would be in serious trouble uh, if these vaccines weren't out. And I know, like, personally, with all these AEs happening, I, I'm actually pro-vax. I'm anti-mandate. Um, so I, I'm actually like everything you said, I'm, I still think it's a net positive that the vaccine is out. Right. And I'm hoping that as more data comes in, that the sponsors improve their products. I, that's another conversation we can have, but isn't that incentive, like a good thing to keep these vaccines coming out? I know it's double-edged sword. What is your take on this? Am I like dumb for thinking this? Well, <clears throat> we, we've never, uh, well, prior to FDA, it was done this way. But since FDA, 
every ma- manufacturer is held accountable for their offering. Okay. Mm-hmm. And to, to strip away that culpability, it strips away the, um, <clears throat> the, uh, efficacy, the ethical nature of a product, right? If you're going to tout it as the best thing since sliced bread and it's so <laughs> effective and so safe, then why are you hiding behind an immunity clause? Yeah. It's hiding behind that. Now, every manufacturer is held accountable for what has happened up to this point, except for this offering. So every sponsor has had this non-immunity workflow since FDA began since the Nuremberg codes and since the Belmont report and since all of these uh, Tuskegee experiment, all of these times where the government misused their authority. Okay. Where they said, well, it's for your health, but really it wasn't for your health. And now that you have something that they want to mandate, you can mandate whatever you want, but you can't, also have immunity at the same time. If you're going to mandate that a product be taken before any work or employment or what have you, you can go here or there, then you have to make the manufacturer accountable for what you're mandating. And that that is the biggest issue here. And if they were held accountable, you can believe that there would be no mandate. I see. Wow. You guys, you're hearing it here first. Uh, uh, Pat Stone, who's been a longtime guest on the show, uh, just spitting facts, truth bombs. Maybe controversial, but I don't know. I mean, I don't see anything really controversial with what you're saying. And you know what you're talking about. You're not some dude off the street. You're former FDA. I'm a patient safety advocate. And and I am also a for effective medicine and that has been what i swore an oath to protect this country's healthcare system when i joined fda they make you swear on the bible and you you swear that you're going to uphold you know the law and the constitution and <clears throat> that you're going to be a patient safety advocate and i have been that advocate since 1998 when I swore that I would be <clears throat> true to this uh, country's healthcare system. Do you think, <clears throat> as someone who was on the inside of the FDA, I would hope, and I think viewers and listeners would also hope, that as more data rolls in, right, now that, what, 70% of the United States is vaccinated? So we're getting this safety and efficacy data. Well. To some extent, you said CDC stopped counting, but they're getting the data. Look at Israel's numbers because they're kind of in a tailspin right now. Hmm. They they had mandated the third booster. Now with Omicron, they're thinking they want to mandate a fourth booster, but their hospitals are full of double and triple jabbed patients. Really? Yes, sir. If from Omicron, or who knows what? Yeah, the, they're not telling us what strain of. COVID, these individuals are contracting, but they're in the hospital and they're getting it. So that's kind of my, my leads to my question. So as we're getting more of this data from the vaccine effects, right, or 
lack of efficacy in some cases, in a lot of cases you're saying. Um, are Do you know, as a former FDA auditor, whether these manufacturers are looking at this data, safety and efficacy, and continuously improving the product? So are we going to keep getting better and better versions of this until it actually is safe and effective to to adequate levels? <clears throat> well, so, you know, the mRNA model may not be the best fit. Um, it may have been the best option or choice at the time in 2019 or 2018, whatever. But um, I have more faith in the traditional manufacturing of vaccinations, you know, a live or attenuated part of COVID. Um, and also let's, let's be real. We need to understand that there's a lot of evidence to support this wasn't a natural occurrence. Right. Okay. Right. Del th this, this was not from a pangolin or a civet cat that was bitten by a bat. Okay. Um, th this was biological warfare, uh, either accidentally, I, I would say accidentally because I have been to China and I see their offerings. They're not a first world nation. Their manufacturing doesn't even compare to Puerto Rico. Um, you know, Mexico does it better. Um, and <clears throat> for them to have a level four viral vector lab and for them to have a party that is is uh, above the law and you know if they want to go review that viral vector lab they're not going to put on a level four gear they're just going to go in there and they're going to just you know run amok so that's where you see some things that you know you're like well why why would you know what would they be trying to do this um, gain of function on something that really is Pandora's box. So, but by once that we argument, understand the nature of it, that's when that's where we'll have a better fight here, a better product. You know, once we yeah. um, get that gauge, because if this is something that is ever changing, we may not ever meet the mark. Right. Yeah, I'm. I tend to agree with a lot of what you're saying and and offering. But wouldn't wouldn't aren't we better off mandates aside? Forget about mandates. But aren't we better off as a country uh, by having, even if it's not the best, having a vaccine available for the at risk? I mean, I'm you know I'm I was super happy when my parents got vaccinated. They're elderly. They're at risk. Um, not so much for myself, but, you know, people who are in those kind of situations like elderly risk groups, right? Aren't we better off that it's out there despite the shortcomings? Or are you saying it'd be better to have studied this longer and nobody get it? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a very tricky question there. <laughs> um, so I think the numbers are that, um, one and three thousand individuals are helped, or you know, they're they're the COVID does not affect them as bad. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, if, if we can find a glimmer of hope that uh, that the cases were less severe because they're vaccinated, but we're seeing double vaccinated deaths from COVID. So it it. Um, it but haven't those like- deaths dropped off since the pandemic came out? Like I remember in the, or is that just attributed to mainstream media? No, no, no. Media? If you if you look at the numbers, twenty twenty one, we've had more deaths in twenty twenty one than twenty twenty. I see. That's I a see. big deal. I see. That it's is just a, being reported the, less. Yes, sir. By mainstream media, you're saying. Yes, sir. I yeah, see. no, we've had more death this year in the U.S. from COVID. From COVID. Yes, sir. Yeah. What What do you think uh, going forward? Like, what do you think is gonna happen in 2022 i think more and more people are going to get vaccinated right but it's it's less and less efficacious as new variants come out we haven't even talked about merck's pill that's getting approved that's controversial too because a lot of people are saying that can that can stimulate mutation or or accelerate mutation of the virus uh we can do like three-hour podcast, Joe Rogan style on this one. Pat. <laughs> yeah, he got a lot of flag for his talks. <laughs> yeah, I think the conversation is important. I mean, I like to consider myself a moderate. I'm I'm pro vaccine, anti mandate. I don't think government should mandate something like this, but yeah, I am well, pro vaccine. I mean, what else are you gonna do? You you the said it yourself, not mandated. You know, so you know that that's kind of in the same. It's in the same category. Like, you know, I understand uh, MMR, polio, you know, myself and my kids have all gotten every single vaccine <laughs> that is necessary. <clears throat> uh, they didn't always get the flu vaccine. Sometimes I gave them the nasal one, yeah. you know, I give them the, the, the nasal and that's not available anymore. But that seemed to work a lot better than the shot for them because when they would get the flu vaccine, they would get sick. Yeah. Um, and when they would get that nasal uh, vaccine, they wouldn't get sick. And then they took that off the market, which was, was I was like, man, I really like that, uh, you know, non-inoculation offering. I think we need to uh, elevate our medicine. You know, we're, we're in the Star Trek days now. Uh, <clears throat> um, we have, there are better ways to uh, fight viruses viral vectors um and if this treatment is is managed uh efficiently and um these sponsors these drug manufacturers get the uh science a little more dialed in um because you know what we're seeing is uh <clears throat> the effectiveness is just over placebo for these vaccines, which is like a 20% effectiveness rate. Now, that can be debated all day long, you know, but when you look at Israel, when you look at EMA, EU, when you look at UK, you can see that there are many breakthrough cases in hospital right now. Yeah, and winter winter's here, and they're predicting it's gonna be a nasty winter for well, if for you everybody. have flu and COVID at the same time, you you you're looking at upwards of two hundred thousand deaths. Wow! Because traditionally, the flu has killed ninety thousand people a year. 
um, and and it's in its lethality is is you know not it's you know again like the ninety nine point four point five very very low chance but it's still there um, and uh, yeah I mean I'd, I'd I'd like to see some of this technology be used on aids or some other viral vector um you know that that uh that could use gene therapy but trying to use gene therapy for a virus that is ever changing ever mutating is mm, it's not optimal i'll just say that yeah i think we're gonna have to leave the site audits for another episode because sure, we went yeah, down yeah. the rabbit hole but we we'll have did. to have you we back. Did. We'll have to have you back, and yeah, I'm you know, here. people in the comments they're gonna they're gonna have different questions, and I know we can have debates around this too. And I just think we need to have this conversation more than 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 we're having. It's civil discourse. Be. I think you know if we if we keep civil discourse at the forefront, I think our country has lacked civil discourse. I mean, everyone is so polarized one way or the other. And there is there is very little room for meeting in the middle. And um, I think and you know we all need to say it's not my way or the highway. You know we're looking at the data. We're looking at the countries that are, um, yeah. you know, in the most lockdown, and it's it's not working. Hmm. Otherwise, there would be no more infection. Okay, if it was as safe and effective as they would say, we wouldn't have the blooming breakthrough cases yeah there's a silver lining as all i like to end with the silver lining yeah majority yeah. i think this video will be different i think a lot of general public will watch this one but so new subscribers welcome but i think the hardcore guru nation you know people who work or want to work in the industry i've never seen in clinical research and I don't know if you're going to back me up on this or not, a busier period of time, like work, as far as the amount of work, the the demand that's needed from trained clinical research professionals. And I don't see that slowing down with this stuff. I see every variant. Now they're doing more study. They're going to do Omicron studies. They're doing treatment studies, which I really think we need better treatment studies. What do you think about this? Like, is is that a silver lining for researchers? Like, we're it is, it is. I mean, you know, you're not wrong. It seems like, um, you know, after 2019, and everyone had time to, you know, be remote, be at home. Um, the scientific process was, you know, stewing and 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 uh, brewing, and and now that you know, we're, we're past 2019, we're past 2020, we're almost done with 2021. Um, yeah. Emerging sponsors are on the rise, you know, the middle and the, and the meat, the, the small and mi middle size sponsors. Small is the new big they're, guys they're coming out. And um, there's small a lot the of work big. out there and there's a lot of good and effective uh, of medicine for COVID that really minimizes the need for mandates, right? Because if we can treat it better and we can keep folks from dying, then we have a layered approach. And I think that we the, the government should take that layered approach as opposed to 
you know, uh, taking a, a, you know, a sledgehammer to the nation. So, uh, because it's, it, you know, the, the summer of 2020 erupted into something we shouldn't see again. I mean, I would hate to see the same type of issues, you know, we come right. to 2022 and the summer comes and there's all this craziness, um, that, that would be, you know, the worst case scenario, but if we can get individuals back into work and back out there, you know, living life and uh, taking advantage of every opportunity that that life brings, then it is a silver lining and, and we can we can do better and, and <clears throat> we we can um, listen to actual data, right? I mean, I don't want to say listen to the science because the science, when you say science, science is, means you question everything. That is not set. Right. Right. But when you have data, data is set. There is no, you know, you can you can skew data, but it's not going to be uh, skewed in a way that I don't understand. Hey, wait a minute. This is the data. What you did is not the data that what you did was cherry pick parts that you like from the data. But I'll just cherry the raw, pick all the time. Yeah, dude. Don't, don't not, cherry pick. not COVID related at all. I just did a video yeah. yesterday on how sponsors cherry pick. I had a question from a viewer. They said, hey, you know, is it normal in my clinical trial? I'm a site owner. Is it normal to have like 20, um, 20 screen failures and no randomizations? And it's like, yeah, it's normal when they're cherry picking. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that as we end? Because I don't want to get the sure. platform. Let's make this sure. back about research. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, yeah, so I, you know, that is one of the metrics I look at as a risk factor is how many screenings. If I see that a site has 200 screen patients and they've enrolled two patients, then I kind of want to understand, was it the patient population that you weren't understanding or that, you know, was too sick to enroll or were you just, you know, uh, somehow grabbing everyone and anyone even if they didn't fit the profile into you know a pre-screening right. type thing so you know pre-screening you can have all kinds of crazy numbers but actual screening you want to have that now 20 screen is not is nothing you know when i say 200 i've seen 200 patients screened and two patients enrolled and that's to me is a red flag like is that FDA, a red flag for the site or for the sponsor, or you don't know as an auditor, you have to find out. You have to find out. You have to say, okay, wait a minute. I need to do either a um, co-monitoring visit or a sponsor visit or an actual QA audit. One of those three have to happen when you see that because you want to understand from the site's perspective what is going on. And, and you got to make a storyboard for when FDA reviewers ask, hey, why are you screening 200 subjects and only getting two enrolled? So that, that would be a risk-based reason to go into a site because, you know, you don't always just hit the high enrollers for the FDA chooses sites based on a risk matrix. So it's high SAEs, high deviations, or high enrollment violations. And that's a big deal. I see a lot of enrollment violations that Sponsors are not following up on from a safety perspective, and that's a problem. That is a critical observation. Mm -hmm. If if you're not um, so, in other words, you have a subject enrolling with either 
an exclusion criteria or not meeting an, an inclusion criteria, right? Those are big deals. That means that your site either doesn't understand the protocol or they just aren't going to follow it. Right. Okay. And, and, and so that's a big risk matrix. And um, again, the screening part and then um, lost to follow up, maybe another thing, you know, like, hey, wait a minute, why are you losing all these subjects? Is it your a huge one? Is it is it, you know, that you're not taking care of the patients and they don't feel like their needs are being met or, you know, because you, you don't want to have incomplete data. Right. And when you see that, it's it's a huge, you know, you got to go in and you got to go see that would be a QA audit. That wouldn't be a friendly, how's it going, sponsor audit. That would be like, send in Patrick and I find think out what a, the problem is. I think that's a perfect cliffhanger for next time. We can't go like eight years and do this again. We got to do this again like in two months, Pat. All right? Sure, sure. This is going to get a lot of views, I think. Hopefully not get me deplatformed. We try to keep it about clinical research, but you kind of can't avoid the vaccine, especially when... You got an FDA auditor on. So we'll do it again, maybe in a month, Pat. Before sure. the year's over, let's do one more. And then let's yes, keep sir. let's keep doing these things regularly. And uh, love to have you on again. I really appreciate you coming on. Well, I'm all over LinkedIn. I'm, I'm all over, you know, different, uh, you know, you can find me all over the place. And uh, hopefully um, this helps a little bit. And, and hopefully, if nothing else, it helps people, you know, open their perspective to be cautious, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? Yep. I will put Pat's LinkedIn underneath the show notes. Go check him out, connect with him. Definitely stay tuned for more interviews. Catch y'all later. Bye-bye.